0: Welcome to this episode on the Socorro Incident, a UFO case. Now, everyone has heard of the Roswell Incident. I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have. It's considered the mother of all UFO events. You might also be acquainted with other high-profile UFO cases, like the Lubbock Lights in 1951, or the 1997 Phoenix Lights, which were seen in two states in Sonora, Mexico. Perhaps the convincing incident at Exeter, New Hampshire in 1965, or the 1980 Rindlesham Forest event in the UK involving U.S. military at a base with nuclear weapons. The 1989-1990 to 1990 Belgium triangular UFO wave was seen by over 13,000 people. And of course, Gulf Breeze, Florida had its own major incident in 1987. All have compelling stories, and even impressive witnesses in most cases. But have you heard of the Socorro incident, which occurred in 1964 in Socorro, New Mexico? This is the case with not only one of the most convincing witnesses of any UFO case, but also the incident that confounded officials with the Air Force UFO program, Project Blue Book. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode as we investigate the Socorro incident. Socorro, New Mexico, on April 24th, 1964, a Friday. At 5 p.m., Paul Kreis and Larry Kratzer are driving about one mile southwest of Socorro heading east on Highway 60. Kreis, who is driving, sees a strange cloud of dust or smoke about a mile ahead on the right, and he points that out to Kratzer. They both see something shiny, shimmering in the smoke, and Kreis can't really decide if it's a light or a reflection or maybe a fire from a nearby junkyard. Now later, as more information came out and stories were being told of a UFO sighting, Kreis modified this brief description and stated later that he thought in fact perhaps he did see a UFO. There is a discrepancy here between the two men. Kratzer remembers things very differently, saying he pointed it out to Kreis, not the other way around, and Kratzer's account is that he witnesses a round or egg-shaped object ascend vertically, level off, then move to the southwest still belching smoke. He notices two details. Number one, a row of round, darker, mirror-like windows, and number two, a strange red Z marking on the right side. Now, we possibly can account for the difference from the standpoint of fries being the driver so he's driving the vehicle and obviously if he has to pay attention to the road he's probably just catching glances over to the side whereas kratzer as the passenger is able to more fully keep watching what is going on the two men proceed into socorro and they stop at a gas station The gas station attendant, Opal Grinder, later states that he assists a customer who excitedly tells him of spotting a strange, egg-shaped craft flying overhead. Well, that does sound a lot like what Kratzer later describes. The customer, according to Mr. Grinder, states the object was heading west. Likely the customer is Kratzer, but investigators are not entirely sure, and it could be a different or even additional witnesses that may have stopped at this gas station. Now at the same time, Socorro police officer Lonnie Zamora is chasing a speeder when he hears a loud roaring sound. Looking in the direction of the sound, he sees a bright flaming object descending behind a small hill where he knows a dynamite shack is located. Believing the shack may have exploded he stops his pursuit of the speeder and drives to the top of a small hill and is shocked at what he sees. There is a small shiny object that has landed near the road. Two short figures are standing next to the object and appear to be wearing white coveralls. They seem to be working on the object. He remembered them later as normal in shape but smaller than an average adult like small adults or large kids. Zamora at first believes the object to be a vehicle in an auto accident and radios headquarters that an accident has occurred. He continues driving toward the object approaching within a hundred feet. Now Zamora wrote in his notes after the incident the following. It looked at first like a car turned upside down, thought some kids might have turned it over, saw two people in white coveralls very close to the object. One of these persons seemed to turn and look straight at my car and seem startled, seemed to quickly jump somewhat. At this time, I began moving my car towards them quickly with the idea to help. Object was like aluminum, was whitish against the Mesa background not chrome. Seemed like oval in shape and I at first glance took it to be an overturned white car. Car appeared turned up like standing on radiator or trunk at this first glance. As he drives closer a small hill hides the object and figures from view. As he crests this second hill the figures are no longer visible. He can now see landing gear and seconds later hears thumping and a loud roar. The craft rises, emitting a flame. Jumping behind his car, Zamora watches it narrowly clear the dynamite shack. The roaring sound then stops and is replaced by a whining sound. Bobbing up and down, it flies away to the southwest at a low altitude. Like Kratzer, Zamora sees a strange red arrow-like symbol on the side of the object, about two and a half feet high by Two feet wide. A few minutes later, New Mexico State Police Sergeant Sam Chavez, receiving a radio call for help from Zamora, arrives on the scene. He notices immediately that Zamora seems shaken. After telling Chavez what he witnessed, Chavez and Zamora inspect the area and find physical evidence of the landing. There are four deep impressions where the landing gear sat there is a burnt mesquite bush and charred grass. The rock where the craft sat appears to be melted and fused. Curiously, within hours, military authorities arrive at the scene and allegedly contact and take away samples of the melted rock, burned soil, and vegetation. The fact the military arrived so quickly might be explained by both Holloman Air Force Base and White Sands Missile Range being about 120 miles away. Shortly after the incident, Air Force investigators visit the site, including the lead civilian investigator and scientist for Project Blue Book, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Hynek, who at the time was skeptical of UFOs, was baffled by the case, later stating it was one of the major sightings out of all Project Blue Book reviews conducted by the Air Force. The incident was additionally investigated by the FBI, now, in 2003, longtime resident of Socorro, Sally Hagler, a Socorro Chamber of Commerce volunteer, says she saw the same object near her home at the time of the sighting. She and her husband were watching TV and saw an object near the mountains through their window. However, there were no defining details given and none matching the other witness sightings. She also related Dr. Hynek told her about 400 other witnesses had seen the object. With 10,000 people in the county at that time, a lot of the population would have had to have witnessed it. Her account does seem suspect, since there is no record of a report from her at the time or any interview on record with Dr. Hynek. Certainly her comment on his statement is hearsay at best and unsupported by records. So what makes a Socorro incident so compelling in the annals of UFO cases? I think it comes down to three things. The witnesses, the physical evidence, and the impressions of those who investigated. it. First, let's talk about the witnesses. Paul Kreis and Larry Kratzer. They both see something shiny and shimmering in the smoke. Kreis can't decide if it is a light or a reflection or maybe a fire from a nearby junkyard. He later states that it possibly could have been a UFO. Kratzer remembers things differently, saying that he pointed it out to Kreis, who was driving at the time. Kratzer's account is that he witnesses a round or egg-shaped object ascend vertically, level off, and then move to the southwest, still belching smoke. He notices two details, a row of round, darker mirror-like windows, and a strange red Z-marking on the right side. Gas station attendant Opal Grinder assists a customer who comes into the gas station wanting gas who is very excited and the customer states that he saw an object in the sky that was heading west. Socorro police officer Lonnie Zamora FBI agent D. Arthur Burns conducting an investigation into the incident wrote that Zamora was a well-regarded, industrious, and conscientious officer and not given to fantasy. Zamora was well-regarded by local law enforcement officials and had a solid reputation. He did not seek to cash in on the experience or seek attention after the incident. He did not seek out a book deal, attend UFO conventions, or otherwise draw attention to himself. In 2003, Zamora was contacted by a Socorro-based newspaper requesting an interview. Long retired by that time, he declined, saying, I just don't talk about it anymore. Tragically, he died in 2009. So when we look at these witnesses, we see that there is commonality in some of the things that they reported seeing. Also, the fact that the primary witnesses, which are Paul Kreis, Larry Kratzer, and Lonnie Zamora, did not witness these things together, but rather separately. We see commonality in the description of the object from Kratzer and Zamora, both describing the object as round or egg-shaped, both seeing some kind of marking on the craft. And we have a consistency in the direction it was traveling, either southwest or west. What about the physical evidence? Well, the physical evidence found at the landing site in this case is among the most impressive in UFO case history. Evidential traces included landing gear imprints, scorched and burned vegetation around the site, melted rock, and burned soil. The landing traces also included metal fragments found in the volcanic rock where the craft settled. In the holes made by the landing gear, there were metal streaks observed. Mary Mays... A New Mexico University graduate student working on a degree in radiation biology was asked by the University to investigate the landing traces. Going to the site, she witnessed melted sand and burning vegetation. She took samples and tested them, finding no indications of radiation. She later stated publicly that the Air Force took the report and all samples and instructed her to not discuss the case. And what of the impressions of those that investigated the case? Dr. J. Allen Hynek was an Air Force consultant for two decades and was involved in thousands of UFO investigations. When the Air Force's Project Sign, the UFO project before Project Blue Book, hired him, he was skeptical of UFO reports, suspecting they were made by unreliable witnesses or persons misidentifying man-made or natural objects. In 1948, Dr. Hynek said the whole subject seems utterly ridiculous, believing it to be a fad that would pass. He was famously responsible for attributing one UFO sighting to swamp gas. The Socorro incident has been identified as a key case that turned Dr. Hynek's views around on the legitimacy of UFOs. Military authorities arriving at the scene within hours illustrates the level of seriousness the military took toward the incident. It appears the local police and state police also took the matter seriously and knew the seriousness of Zamora. He was not reprimanded or fired over the incident. And finally, documents secured through the Freedom of Information Act show that FBI agent D. Arthur Burns took the case very seriously as well, again viewing Officer Zamora as a highly credible and convincing witness. So what's the conclusion here? What are we left with? Well, two years after the sighting, Major Hector Quintanilla, Air Force Chief of Project Blue Book at the time of the incident, told intelligence specialists in a classified CIA publication that the Socorro case remained puzzling. He had conducted an exhaustive check of military activities with many other government agencies looking for an explanation but none could be found. It became the only Project Blue Book case involving occupants that was labeled unidentified. Additionally, in the CIA publication Studies and in Intelligence, Quintanilla further stated, there is no doubt that Lonnie Zamora saw an object which left quite an impression on him. There is also no question about Zamora's reliability. He is a serious police officer, a pillar of his church, and a man well-versed in recognizing airborne vehicles in his area. He is puzzled by what he saw, and frankly, so are we. This is the best documented case on record, and still we have been unable, in spite of thorough investigation, to find the vehicle or other stimulus that scared Zamora to the point of panic. Let's give the final word here to Dr. J. Allen Hynek. The Socorro case was basically a single witness sighting, although several other more distant witnesses to the object were reported. But the witness was a policeman, whose character and record were unimpeachable. Physical traces were left on the ground, and, as I personally observed, some of the greasewood bushes in the vicinity had been charred. Even Major Quintanilla, then head of Blue Book, was convinced that an actual physical craft... Had been present. Maybe there is a simple explanation for the Socorro incident, but having made a complete study of the events, I do not think so. It is my opinion that a real physical event occurred on the outskirts of Socorro that afternoon of April 24, 1964. One final postscript. Less than a week later, on April the 30th, 1964, the pilot of a B-57 fighter-bomber from Holloman Air Force Base told the control tower he was viewing a white oval egg-shaped object with red markings. As he watched, the object actually landed on the base. But that's a story for another time. In the episode notes section, I'll be posting some additional information One you may find very interesting. It is a radio interview by Walter Schrode of KSRC Socorro with Officer Lonnie Zamora. Probably recorded the day after Zamora's close encounter with this UFO. And there is also included a shorter telephone interview from April 29, 1964 with Streeter Stewart of Nightcap. I think you'll find those very interesting. These are interviews with Officer Zamora, extremely close to the actual occurrence of this incident. And uh, give those a listen in the notes section at your leisure. And now it's time for the episode quiz. If you remember, every week we will be doing a quiz as part of the show. And in this particular uh, week, we asked a question on the Facebook page. And if you haven't had an opportunity to go to the Facebook page, please do. It's titled The Paranormal Factor Podcast. And I'd love for you to go out there and take a look at some of the great posts we have. We we do posts every single day, Monday through Friday. And uh, once a week, we do a quiz. The quiz for this week was, when did the term Bigfoot originate? Was it 1887, 1903, 1958, or 1964? What do you think? Well, the answer is 1958. That was when a man named Jerry Crew, a logging company bulldozer operator, in Humboldt County, California, had found some human-like footprints that were sunk deep into the mud in one of the local forests in the area. Uh, some of his co-workers also had been seeing these footprints. And so the logging company men soon began utilizing the term Bigfoot to name the mysterious creature that was out there causing these footprints. And Jerry Crew got with a local reporter for the Humboldt Times newspaper, came up with some plaster casts of the footprints that they had been seeing out there in the woods. And from that newspaper article, the term found a larger audience. And that's what we know today as the the more common term that we use for Sasquatch. Bigfoot. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Great stuff. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual, folks, and thanks for stopping by.